This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're tuned into the Property Show in the Morning Run. It's our weekly take on all things property related, and I'm Sim Weeboon. It's the last Friday of the month, and Kristan of Chair Associates is our guest for the Property Legal Clinic. It's a segment where we take on questions from listeners on property issues from a legal angle. Good morning, and welcome to the show, Chris. So, Chris, our first question comes from a regular listener, TH Lim, who says that in his condo, a unit owner on the ground floor has renovated his unit. It encroaches into the common area. He's even refused entry to JMB engineers to check if the structural load wall inside had been changed or removed. The thing is, the renovation was done before the condominium's first AGM during the developer period, and the JMB has brought the matter to court but was unable to force the offender to reinstate his unit. So, Tishlin wants to know, Chris, is there a recourse on the matter? Okay, here's my comment. I think if this matter has already been referred to the court, it is therefore uh, a matter of the compliance and execution of the court order, whatever the judgment is, unless there is any further appeal filed by any party and there's a stay of execution granted. Uh, I would say that, you know, uh, it's best to consult a lawyer with all the act, facts and details uh, in order to determine what's next best to do, right? as uh, about the matter to explore the next proper action, including even potential claim against the developer in relation to that. Let's put it this way, developer have to be responsible during the developer management period, which is prior to the first AGM of the so-called joint management body. It is true also when the COB said is for the GMB to deal with it, is that the GMB do have the power to intervene for even things that, because the facts remain from the information granted, uh, given by TH Lima, the, the renovation work was done without any approval. So it is without any approval, it remained a breach and a non-compliance. And JMB being the subsequent management body taking succession from the developer can actually do something about it on its own, right? And the other thing that I want to highlight here is that since there is a contention of alteration of removal of a potentially a structure loaded wall, right? I think it could be a safety concern, a safety issue of the building, and therefore involving the local authority and, and consult the COB again from this angle would be useful. In your experience, has similar issues been brought up whereby, let's say someone has done some renovation work before AGM and then the AGM have of the residents come together during AGM and they decide something, say like maybe they decided like, oh, you can't change the facade. But someone has already previously changed their facade before. Do they have to adhere to the new rules or can an exception be made? Let's put it this way. Uh, it got to do with procedure and process. Right, if everything is proper, right, the chances of it being undone then is unlikely. But if the, for example, uh, what amount to facade, for example, correct, would open to a lot of interpretation. So I'm highlighting to you is uh, if everything is being observed process-wise and procedure-wise are correct and proper in compliance, it's very hard to undo, mm. right? But if it's the procedure is wrong in this given case whereby uh, the owner have proceeded to do the renovation without approval, then obviously I think it's very, very challengeable in mm. this case. 
Another thing about T.H. Lim's situation that caught my eye was that when he mentioned that the work proceeded physically, even though the management office had not given any written approval. This is quite curious because, you know, living in a condo, you, the approval also applies to management allowing your contractors up, allowing you to bring your materials up. So if they've not given an approval, I would think that it'd be a bit hard for the contractors to come into your unit and do work, which makes me to think like, is, is it legal for the management to stop a contractor that you've hired from entering the premise? Yes, um, let's put it this way. Uh, there are process and procedure. If you need to do renovation, the management need to be informed and the management need to give approval in, in one way or another uh, prior to the visitation of the contractor and performing the works in your unit. So in that case, that's why I say that, you know, uh, with more facts and information in relation to the given case by TH Lim, Right, uh, then we can advise whether including there's any potential claim against the developer conduct during their management period. Now we move on to our next question from Adeline. Um, so this is the situation she's described. I requested a copy of my condo water piping and electricity wiring from the management office for renovation purposes. But they said they're not going to give it and end up playing Tai Chi with the developer's office. What rights do I have as an owner? So... Can she go to the developer's office and ask for this or should it actually come from the management office? Um, let's put it this way. There's nothing wrong to go to the developer office and ask for the drawing, right? However, if you talk about uh, approval for renovation, then it has to be from the management. It, she can get it from both the management or the developer's office. Uh, I mean, in terms of the piping. The, the uh, copy, la, right. You have to understand. Correct, because you have to understand, for example, uh, she do have a contractual relationship with the developer being the purchaser of the unit, yes. And number two, uh, uh, for the purpose of planning the renovation and approval for the renovation, uh, first of all, you need to do a renovation plan, proposed renovation plan to submit for approval. In order to prepare the proposed renovation plan that is not infringing uh, the current safety of the building, including the piping, electricity, wiring, and all that, uh, you need the uh, drawings. Mm. So you can get a drawing from developer office as well, right? And then submit the proposed renovation plan to the management office. Uh, like I said, you know, as far as this is concerned, uh, this is a situation whereby management cannot provide the uh, water piping drawing and electricity wiring piping drawing, right? Mm. I'm saying to you is that if you want to escalate this further, uh, I think Adeline can do two things. Number one, can always still refer to the Strata Management Tribunal, right, for an order to obtain such info because there is schedule under the Strata Management Act whereby uh, such info can be uh, uh, requested from the management. And number two is that, you know, you can always consult the Commissioner of Building Office and seek guidance as to how COB can actually help and intervene and do this. We move on to our next question, which comes from Vimalan. Strata House rules binds the owners of a unit. Can a tenant, uh, a, rent, a tenant that's renting, be bound by it even though he or she is not aware of them? And how do you enforce it on this tenant when he or she ignores fines, etc. by the management? Okay, uh, so good question from Vimalan. Uh, let me answer the question. It's very simple. A tenant is an invitee of the unit owner. Yes or not? Correct. So unit owner have a tenancy agreement with the tenant, right? So uh, it is the duty of the uh, landlord to ensure that the tenant uh, to observe the house rule. 
And let's put it this way, as far as the management is concerned, uh, in the case of enforcement against the tenant, if they fail to do so and still fail to get them to comply, then enforce against the unit owner, which is the landlord, uh, which is a, a common practice anyway, because uh, it is the landlord that have to ensure that the tenant also observe the rules, uh, house rule imposed for the development. So the onus is on the owner lah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and this, this also yeah. comes from a lack of rules and regulations. Uh, I think we've spoken about a lot of times that doesn't really go specifically into the relationship of the landlord and owners. I'm curious, are you aware of any rules maybe outside of Malaysia that actually would put more responsibility on tenant? Or do you actually not agree with the fact that this should be a burden that tenants have to carry? I think it's, it's like that. Um, uh, you are going into uh, regulated community living in, in as far as this is concerned. I think tenant need to know that it's not like it's a free world. You enter there, do anything you like, uh, especially if it's a strata living kind of thing. So I said the house rule do apply to you. So you should already know that you're going in, there will be certain rule that bind you, correct? I'm talking about enforcement anger, obviously, to the landlord. Uh, but it is also the landlord duty to ensure that the tenant's compliance in relation to this. And obviously, uh, when the management uh, take action against the landlord, the landlord can equally take action against the tenant. All right, we're going to take yeah. a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned into the Property Show on the Morning Run. I'm Sim Wee Boon, and we have Chris Tan of Chair Associates here with us for the monthly property legal clinic. It takes place every last Friday of the month. Our next question comes from Joanne. Very simple question, straightforward. Can one sell or lease a freehold property for 60 or 99 years? Okay, generally, uh, let's put it this way. If you uh, Generally, you can lease out your freehold property and register uh, a lease uh, on the title, right, for a maximum period of 99 years if it's for uh, entire property. And if it's for part of the property, right, then the, the period could only be up to 30 years. Uh, and, and just to give a good reminder to everyone here is that a leasing out of a freehold title is not the same as selling of a leasehold land. So you have to get that very clear because a leasehold land title can only be issued by the land office and not by a private uh, property owner. What exactly are the, are the difference between leasing and renting out your land to someone? Is it a matter of... No, no, lease, lease, lease is the same word as rent, but commonly uh, uh, in a practical usage, uh, we use the word rent is anything below three years. Mm. Anything more than three years, we call it a lease. And lease entitle you to register it in the title. Uh, okay. Registration in the title. Correct? So which means a uh, uh, property owned by Simri Boon, for example, and I'm the lessee, Kristan. So in your title, they say owner is Simri Boon and the lessee for 99 years is Kristan, for example. Mm. But in this situation, right, it's still a contract between me and you. What other parties do I need to get involved? Do I need to get the land office involved? Do I need to get the, the government or anyone involved? Or can it just be strictly between me and you and, and, and a lawyer in between as well? No, when, when I say that, uh, let's put it this way, when you rent a property for more than three years, you're entitled to register a lease on the title. The good thing about renting a lease or the title is that so that your interest as the lessee or tenant is secured. Uh, when people are doing transaction on the property, they already know that there's a lessee interest there. For example, if I'm buying from the owner right now, I don't expect it to be vacant because I see that it is 
lease out to another person for another 30 years, for example. And in between this, say I lease to another person uh, and halfway through the lease, that person decides to purchase and everything, I can convert it and we can go ahead with it or, I mean, are there any specific conditions that have been met or will that be covered in the agreement that we're going to make? Okay, it will not be covered in the agreement you're going to make unless you want to grant an option. It's not a conversion per se. Uh, let's put it this way. If this lessee who decided to actually buy over the unit, then there will be a transaction for the sales and purchase of the of the title of the land, right, in relation to that and of the, of the property. And then uh, there will be change of ownership. So the lease registered earlier could be terminated. Lah. Um, we move on to our next question, which comes from Isaac. I'm thinking of preparing my will and leaving my properties to my family, but what do I need to prepare? For example, how many witnesses would you need to make the will a legal and binding document? Are there any specific formats in writing a will? What are the implications of any outstanding loans or taxes related to the property? And of course, what kind of information does he need to be included in the will? Generally, I mean, there are two ways of writing a will. Uh, let's put it this way, uh, writing a will is not compulsory. Even if you don't write a will, it doesn't mean that your asset go nowhere and don't know how to handle. There is a provision under the law to see how to distribute them under the Distribution Act in a way, correct? So I'm just saying that writing a will only allows you to decide who shall be the person who execute the will, who shall be the beneficiary according to your own intention and not according to the provision of the law. Uh, therefore, there is two ways to write a will. Okay, when you write a will, uh, you can write it general. For example, if you want to pass everything to your wife or husband in relation to that, you just say that, you know, whatever I have, I pass it to my name, wife and husband, giving their details and whatsoever, right? That could be a general one. Or you want to say that, you know, I, I have another two children, they are all above 18, I want to give it to them as well. You can say, I want to break all my estate into three equal share and then go to these three equally. That's what I call a general will. But if you want to do it specifically, for example, asset A to the wife, asset B to the eldest son, asset C to the uh, youngest daughter, for example, in relation to that, um, then you can make it specific. Uh, by giving details of the property, right, as well as the detail of the beneficiary and match them accordingly, right? Um, and obviously, uh, to write a will, there's also very importantly, you must appoint what we call the executor. What is an executor? The executor is somebody who step into your shoes when you are not around to sign the transfer, to effect the process, to sign in your absence, right? So as far as this concerned, you must be able to appoint a benefic uh, appoint an executor. So what it normally happened in a will to say that, first of all, uh, the first sentence normally is talking about you revoking all your previous will. Therefore, will is going by the date of you making the will, right? Number two is for you to appoint an executor, all right? And normally it could, it's advisable for you to have two, one as a first choice, second as a alternative, just in case something happened. Uh, and this person will actually step into your shoe and, and, and sign for your behalf and effect whatever your intention is. And then the third one, obviously, you have to name all your assets correctly, describe them correctly with proper title number, proper registration number, or, and proper description of its address and whatever that is and where it is placed. And also then uh, have to then give all the details and information 
of your beneficiary correctly, right? And obviously, the last part of the will is very important because uh, will is time sensitive. For example, you might put a will today, but you you are you are still alive for the next ten years, and you could have still acquired new asset and new property, right? So my lighting to you is that the last paragraph of your will is important, is because. Uh, anything that's not mentioned above, which is all the asset and how it's intended to be distributed, will have a closing clause at the end to say that if I still have this, what do I do, right? Uh, normally, that's the perfectly ending kind of clause. So your will must be complete in this way. Uh, and if you didn't do this part, then again, uh, it, it doesn't mean that uh, the the asset or your property will go to nowhere. It only means that you need further process further court process is required to address those remaining assets that you have failed to touch on. For any outstanding mortgage loan that is still not to be uh, still not fully settled with the bank, the name beneficiary of the particular asset or property shall continue to serve the installment, right? Unless uh, you have any form of mortgage insurance like MRTA or MLTA in place, then then you should invoke those claims to ensure that those uh, property are property outstanding loan uh, to be properly settled and before it's transferred to you. So if you don't have an MRTA or MLTA, yes, what happens to it? You have to continue to serve the interest. Okay. You have to continue to serve the installment. You know why? Because I can't pass an asset to you that is not fully owned by me, correct? Which means at that time, it's still subject to a bank loan, correct? But nonetheless, I have over the year pay off certain part of the bank loan. So I do own certain portion uh, or of the asset or property already in relation to that. So that's the part that's passing to the beneficiary. But for the beneficiary to continue to enjoy the property and asset, then they have to really pay off the balance of the installment unless there are already some MRTA or MLTA in place to secure the mortgage. Which you have to get separately yourself, like either when you buy your house or halfway through you get it separately from a usually it's from an insurance company right correct yeah. yes so before before you're passing and this shall be done and only because this insurance can only happen when 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 you are no longer around yeah yeah the MRTA and MLTA what about correct. permanent disability does that apply as well is this conversation the same kind of takes the same weight um, even if it's permanent uh, um, um, disability in relation to that, for example, for some you you are in the, um, in able to unable to no longer work and gain uh, income, right? So as far as that is concerned, uh, it is not applied specifically to the mortgage, so it's still not applicable. Uh, there will be an estate, there will be a payout from there, but there will normal the normal payout for insurance is is as per what you put in in your insurance policy, the beneficiary is not subject to your will most of the time. Okay, and our last question comes from Sally. It's been six months since my tenant paid the rent for the apartment he's renting from me. Uh, this is even after we've agreed to reduce the rent because he said he's having some difficulty finding a new job. Three months ago, he said he will pay the rent and the backdated amount by me. But until now... He can't be contacted and when uh, Sally goes to the apartment, he's nowhere to be found. She wants to know if she can notify the apartment MO to cancel his access card and even perhaps change the locks herself. What are the options she has to get back the money that her tenant owes her and if, if she has to evict her tenant? Okay, Sally, you need a court order and court judgment in order to enforce your right as a landlord. 
any measure of self-help is actually illegal generally. Uh, you can try to seek the help of the management office, but then they are not obligated to help you. So you have to understand that, you know, um, the best route to move forward here is that proper notice, seek communication, and then get a court judgment and an order before you do anything to recover the possession of the apartment. And how would she get this court order? Is it a matter of um, making a police report or she has to hire a lawyer? You have to hire a lawyer and police report is only useful when you want to enforce the judgment that you've obtained from the court uh, in relation to you trying to go into the unit. For example, uh, there are new laws that you need to probably have a break-in kind of situation, although you're the owner, uh, then it's best to secure yourself by lodging a police report. Okay, so get the lawyer, get the court order, then if push comes to shoves, then the police might be able to help. Anyways, uh, we've reached the end of the Property Legal Clinic. And as always, thank you very much, Chris. That's all the time we have for the Monthly Property Legal Clinic. Uh, join us again next month as our guests will help shed some light on your property legal conundrums. You can send your questions to property at bfm.my or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.